Our text this morning is from 1 John 2, 7 through 11. You can find this on page 1021 and the Bible's placed in the chairs in front of you. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and doesn't know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Alyssa. It was good to have our missionary friends with us last week, and we are back now uh, into 1 John. Of course, we're here in 2, chapter 2, verses 7 through 11 of that epistle. Uh, just as a reminder, uh, what has John the Apostle been doing? He wrote this letter to the churches in Asia Minor. He wrote this letter to us uh, in order to sharpen those boundaries of what it means to be a Christian. What is the Christian life? Uh, remember, redrawn by John. That's kind of what's happening here. He is making sure we understand, reviewing the boundaries of what it means to be a Christian. And so far, he's talked about how God is light. And in this illustration that he is using, God has drawn us towards him as Christians into the light. And as we are drawn into the light, a few things happen. First and foremost, it exposes our sin. As we are drawn to God, we see an, there should be an increase in the Christian life and in the awareness of our sins. That's the first thing. The second thing is there should be an increased obedience in our lives demonstrated toward God. Both of those things. He's talked about those things so far. And, and what he wants us to remember is that we are not, nor will we ever be perfect, but as God works in our lives, what happens? We change. We change. And so these experiences, seeing our sin, seeing increased obedience, these things ought to act as assurances of our salvation as well. So instant, for instance, when we see a sin that we didn't see before, it's not time to hide in shame. What is it? It's a moment to recognize that God is working in your life. It's a good thing to see sin. It's not a sad, shameful thing. It's a thing that God is saying, I want you to see this. It's fruit of God working. And then when we obey in a way that, that we haven't obeyed before, again, it's fruit. It's, a, it's an assurance that God is working in our lives. Here in verses 7 through 11, John's continuing this discussion on obedience. Um, and it's almost as if he's anticipating a question. Uh, the question would be formulated something like this. Okay, John, I'm seeing more sin and I'm seeing lots of it. Okay, John, I know that I need to obey. There will be an increase of obedience, but where do I begin? Where do I begin? There's so many commands. There's so many things wrong. Where do I start? In verses 7 through 11, I believe he is answering that question. So let me, just, let me pray for us, and then we'll jump into the text. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the opportunity you've given me uh, to be a teacher of your word. As unworthy as I am, Lord, it's something that gives me joy, and I'm thankful to be here with my people this morning, 
And I'm thankful for this church. I'm thankful for this opportunity to let the Holy Spirit speak to their hearts. I pray that you would help me to not be a disparity to that, that I would not get in the way of the things that they need to hear from you this morning. And Father, I also ask that you'd speak to me, a sinner saved by grace. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we start here in verse 7. Beloved, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. So I don't know if you all uh, experienced this when I was a kid and a TV show wanted to do a dream sequence or like a flashback. Right? Okay, that's also, I think, Wayne's world. But um, uh, So like, imagine for a moment, what's John doing? He's, he's flashing back. He's remembering a moment. And what moment is he thinking about? He's thinking about a moment that would have been burned into his memory. It was a moment that he spent the last extended time with his friend and Savior, Jesus Christ. You can read this, this dissertation or this discourse in John 13 through 16 from John's gospel. Uh, but this is Jesus spending the night giving his disciples, the ones who would carry on his ministry, his last teachings. And so during that time, he is laying out with some probably intensity and some urgency, some, some things. And here's uh, what he says. This is the word, these are the words of Jesus. I'm going to jump around a little bit in John 13 and 15. You don't have to uh, write these down, but it's just good to hear them. Jesus says to his disciples, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's John 13, 34 through 35. We're going to jump to John 15, 12 through 17. It's going to, you're going to notice a pattern here. Jesus is talking about this. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jumping ahead, these things I command you so that you will what? Guess what? <laughs> love one another. Jesus is repeating it. It's important. The context of when he's teaching this, it's urgent that they understand and hold on to this commandment. Now, how do we know that this is what John is talking about in, in this chapter, in chapter 2, verse 7? It's because he lets the cat out of the bag. In 1 John 3, 11, he says, and this is what you have known, love one another. So he, he tells us that. And so what John is saying, to start this off, he's reminding us, he's reminding these Christians what Jesus taught as a new commandment. Now let's just talk about this. I think we need to gain some understanding to make sure we're clear on exactly what Jesus is saying. First of all, uh, we need to make sure we affirm that Jesus affirmed the Old Testament law. It says in Matthew 22, so he's having this conflict with the Pharisees, and they're kind of quizzing him, trying to trip him up, and they ask him, oh, what's the greatest commandment? Trying to see if he'll answer in a way that will allow them to accuse him. And here's what Jesus says. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and prophets. So let's understand this morning, Jesus is not replacing all of the Old Testament law with this. He's, he's affirming it. In, in Matthew 22, and then he's adding a little something. But now if you notice, what is the second great commandment? It's love your neighbor as yourself. So loving people isn't new. <laughs> loving people isn't new. What's new about this commandment? I think the ESV Study Bible, which is a great study tool for those of you looking for one, says it this way. The command to love one's neighbor was not new. The newness was found in loving one another as Jesus had loved his disciples. So the new commandment, 
this thing that John's drawing our attention back to in verse 7, has to do not just with loving people, but loving people in a specific way, the way Jesus loved his disciples, the way Jesus loves us. Let's keep going down this rabbit hole. I think it's important to ask the question, well, how did Jesus love his disciples? How does Jesus love us? And I think there's some great ways to look at this from Paul. Paul uh, takes the truth of the Gospels and expounds on it. In short, a love, that the kind of love that Jesus is commanding us to have is a sacrificial one. Sacrificial love. Listen to this verse. You'll recognize these two verses, but this is Paul in Philippians 2. He gives a command, and then he gives a reason for the command. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Command, command, command. Have this mind among yourselves. Command. Now, just set this little phrase aside for, for a little later, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So that, that's what he says. He says it's yours in Christ Jesus. We'll explain that in a minute. But here's the reason. Here's the backing of this command. Talking about Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, something to be held onto. What did he do instead? He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So what's the example here that Christ gives us? When he says, love each other as I have loved you, he gave everything. He emptied himself. He emptied himself. Another great picture that Paul gives us is from 2 Corinthians. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. This is 2 Corinthians 8, 9 so that you by his poverty might become rich. So think about this. Here's what Christ literally did. He chose to bleed, he chose to sweat, he chose to hunger, he chose to be fatigued, he chose all those nasty things that we deal with so that we might what? Have eternity with him. He gave everything. He, he emptied himself. They call, it, they call it the great kenosis. He, he, he was rich. He had all the riches of heaven. And what did he do for a time? He gave it all up, all the way down to death, so that we might have that with him. And so this is the texture of what Jesus, what John is reminding us of, what Jesus is teaching his disciples. Love one another, not just as you love yourself, but as I have loved you. Not as you love yourself, because we are so broken. If we loved everyone the way we love ourselves, we'd still be pretty hateful, right? And so what Jesus is saying, new level, new intensity, love others as I have loved you. And so that's what John is drawing our attention to here in verse 7. And starting in verse 8, he wants to start answering that question. So where do we begin this journey of obedience? He wants us to begin this journey of obedience by understanding our capability to love sacrificially. Look at verse 8. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. There's a middle phrase here, which is true in him and in you, that's got some surprises for us. 
We believe, I don't think we're surprised that the ability to love sacrificially is true in Jesus Christ. Amen. I mean, yeah, he's Jesus, right? But here's the surprise. It's not just true in him. The, the ability to love sacrificially is not just true in Jesus. It's also true in us. <laughs> what? It's true in us? What, what John is doing, he's pointing to a reality. He's pointing to a reality. What is that reality? We have been given by God's grace and his mercy the ability, the ability to love sacrificially by the power, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Go back to Philippians 2. What did Paul say about this, this thing? He said, listen, give away self-ambition. Give away conceit. Think about others as more important than yourselves. Don't just pull up your bootstraps and try hard. What? This is, is yours in Jesus Christ. This ability belongs to us, not because we're good people, but because God has given us the power of the Holy Spirit. Going back to John's flashback, he's aware of this because listen to what Jesus says about this concept. From John 14, verses 15 through 17, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So Jesus is laying out this hard truth. If you love me, you'll obey me. But he gives them some hope here. And I will ask the Father and he will give you what? Another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. This is a fulfillment a fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy. It says in Jeremiah 31, for this is the covenant that I'll make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. This is what John is saying when he says, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Church, we live in the fulfillment of these promises. We live in the fulfillment of these things. The law of God, when we come to Christ, is written on our hearts. We're given the Holy Spirit. We have an ability beyond our natural ability to obey the laws of God. And John's reminding us of that. And so the bottom line is here, we can love sacrificially. We can. It's not something that we have to work up to. And so... By the power of the Spirit, we can lay aside our self-interests. By the power of the Spirit, in the name of loving our brothers and sisters, we can lay aside our human opinions. By the power of the Spirit, in the name of loving our brothers and sisters, we can lay aside our strong, strong preferences. In the power of the Spirit, in the, in the name of loving our brothers and sisters, we can even sacrifice our idea of what, is, what our rights are. And so what John is saying is all of our self-interest, and actually what Jesus is teaching, and it's pretty radical, all of our self-interest need to not only be submitted to Jesus Christ. I think we all agree with that. Yeah, I'll give that to Jesus Christ. He's saying something, something else, something deeper. We also need to submit it to one another. And that's, that seems hard. But what John, John's saying here in verse 8 is this is not some unattainable fantasy. This is not something that, man, only varsity Christians get this. Only the Christians who've been Christians for 10 years, they can do this. No, if we are in Christ, we have the ability to love as Christ loved us first. Because Christian, this commandment is true in him, but it's also true in us. We are empowered to obey this commandment 
immediately. So John wants to remind us in verse 8 of our capability. He wants us to see in verses 9 through 11 the ramifications of loving one another sacrificially. So take a look at those verses with me. Verse 9, whoever says he is in the light hates his brother and is still in darkness. He wants to remind us that loving our brothers and sisters, he's saying it in a negative way, but it is evidence of God's love being active in us. This is the same thing we just were talking about a moment ago. When we obey in a way that we didn't think we could obey before, that is evidence of God working in our lives. So when we, we happen to put aside our preferences, put aside our ambitions, put aside our, our, our thought of rights or opinions, whatever it is, when we do that thing, it is evidence that God is working in our lives. Another assurance that he has saved us. In verses 10 and 11, he gives a great definition of peace and purity in the church. He says, whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Mark that, those few words, we'll come back to that. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. Loving our brothers and sisters sacrificially is evidence of God's love in us. It also brings no cause for stumbling. This word here is the root word for our word scandal. And so the idea here is it either creates a situation that prevents the right thing from happening or promotes the wrong thing to happen. Do you see? So it either stops the right thing from happening or it promotes the, the, the wrong, wait, right thing See, I'm just I'm all mixed up. It prevents the right thing from happening or prevents the wrong thing from happening. I won't talk about it anymore, so don't mess up. Um, this is a great definition of peace and purity. Too often in the church, especially the Presbyterian church, we love these phrases. We think peace and purity means my way or the highway. You've got to agree with the leadership or, or you're, you're, not, you're not on the program. But, but this, what this is saying is, it's actually not about being right or wrong. It's actually about the conduct that comes from our hearts towards one another, whether we agree or not. Peace and purity. When we are in Christ, John Stott, I think, explained this very well. He says, when we're in Christ, we are in the light and we can see how not to sin against one another. We can see how not to sin. It's not about being right or being wrong or being on the program or not. It's about seeing your brothers and sisters and loving them in the way that they need to be loved as Christ has loved you. But when you are not in Christ, we're blinded by our hate. And that's what verse 11 is getting at. We, we are starting uh, behind because we can't even see to love well. We just are blinded by our hate. There's a lot of things that I love about grace as a church. Um, and one of the things I love about our church is that as a group, we really want to love our neighbors well. And by neighbors, I mean those outside the church. So think about this. It's, it's formation. We're coming up on 10 years as a church. The, the, the very first inclination of what this place ought to be as a gospel outpost is it'll be a place where, where those outside who did not know God could come in here and get to know him and worship him. That's been part of the foundation of what this place is. Before we even arrived, that's what this place wanted to be. 
And as I've been here and we've seen our, our values form, we've held on to those. What are some of our values? We want to see and seek the lost and make sure they feel welcome here in our homes and in our lives. Why do we serve Pontiac and the Blake? Why do we serve Pontiac and the Blake? Not for applause. Now, if you're doing it for applause, <laughs> maybe we can like get you a room or something. I'll come in and clap for you or something and we can just get that over with. But, but listen, you're going to be waiting a long time if you're doing it for applause. Why do we serve these ministries? Because we want to be people to the people around us. That's why we do it. It's a desire, an innate desire of this place is to serve and love our neighbors. And what John is getting at here, and I think it's important for us to hear this morning, is that there's one thing, there's one thing that will erode all the effort that we do outside this building. There's one thing that will undo all that effort of obedience to love our neighbors well, and that is if we do not love each other in this place. If we don't love one another, there's no point in trying to love everyone outside this building. And so in our journey to obey Christ, where do we begin? Thank the Lord, we begin right here at our home church. This is where it begins. That's what John is saying. It's, a, it's, a, it's an old commandment, but it's kind of new because we need to remind ourselves of it. Love each other as I have loved you. That's the answer. That's the beginning. That's where we start. Love each other sacrificially here, now, the people next to you and in front of you. Now here's the beauty of it. Jesus has gathered here in this church a variety of people. A variety of people. There are people who have different education levels, different kinds of jobs. There are people who make different educational choices for their family. There's people who think differently about politics in this place. There are married people. There are single people. There are biological children. There are adopted children. There are uh, people who like traditional hymns. There are people who want more smoke and lasers and stuff like that. Jonathan, yeah, no. <laughs> there are Baptists here. There are Presbyterians. There are people who, say, who are saying, what are either one of those? Believe it or not, there are people here who think that everyone should wear a mask, and there are people here who think no one should wear a mask. They're here. They're in this building. And, and here's what I want us to hear this morning. Each of us, this is about us now. Think about yourself. Each of us has a different level of hard-to-loveness. <laughs> Everybody here has something about them that's hard to love. We're all difficult in different ways. We're all wrong in different ways. And so what is the the journey of the church. The journey of the church is not to figure out who's right and then herd everybody over to that side as if those people are closer to God. Here's the thing. That's the Gnostic heresy. That's what John is railing against. What's the Gnostic heresy? Hey, I've got the secret knowledge, and if you just have that secret knowledge, you can be close to God too. That's not the point. What is the point? The point is we have this varied group of people we're all challenging to love in our own way. And what does Jesus say to us? I love you anyway. I love you anyway. That's sacrificial love. That's the love of Jesus. You see, in God's eyes, you can read about this in Ephesians. 
There are no divisions. It says the wall of hostility has been removed. There is not a group of people here who are closer to God than others because of their choices or opinions. You're either in the light or you're not. That's how John is describing this. He's very extreme in his language. If you look at it, you're either in the light and you love, or you're in the darkness and you hate. There's no gradations. We just talked about this in Sunday school of closeness. Either you're with God and in God and loved by God or not. And so all Christians, we're near to God because of who he is and what he has done. Do you hear that? We're near to him, not because of the things we think or the things we do or the choices we make. We're near to God because of who he is and what he has done. And that's the basis of our love for one another in this place. That's the basis of it. So we don't love people because they get better or change. That's not why we love people. We don't love people because they're like us or they're tolerable. That's not why we love people. We don't love people because they've made the right choices. We don't love people because they hold a similar opinion. We love each other in this place, in this church, because in my unlovability, Jesus Christ loves me. In your unlovability, Jesus Christ loves you Anyway, and so as we approach the Lord's Supper, it's an opportunity to celebrate the declaration that Jesus loves us anyway. God created us to be with him in our dark sinful hearts, we rebelled against that relationship and we have done nothing to undo that. Jesus Christ came while we were sinners. He became poor that we might what? Become rich. He emptied himself that we might have an opportunity to be filled up by the Holy Spirit and be in relationship with God. And so this morning, as we eat the bread and drink the cup, It's a good opportunity to just remind ourselves that we truly are unlovable. (laughs) We, We are. And yet there is one who loves us fully all the way despite that unlovability, Jesus Christ. And he demonstrated it through his broken body and shed blood. So this morning, if you take a moment, we're going to do this in a moment, we're going to confess our sins quietly. If you confess your sins, Jesus says, I am faithful and just to forgive them. If you believe that these things are true, that that you are unlovable in your sinfulness, but Jesus Christ is eternally loving toward you in his grace and his mercy, you've made that public profession, you've been baptized, you're called this morning to eat, celebrate. For those of you that don't believe these things, um, I mean, certainly it doesn't make sense for you to come eat bread and, and drink juice or wine but there's something greater at stake than that. There's something greater at stake than that. The way John describes it, you are either in the light with Christ, saved by Jesus Christ and his work, or you're in the darkness. And I want to tell you this morning, the Bible says that darkness, you're blinded by your hate, you're in rebellion, you are lost to God. But Jesus Christ says, come to me. And so this morning, if you can't, 
in good conscience eat the bread and drink the wine and you would like to see that changed, talk to me. Talk to any of our elders. There's going to be an elder. Mark and Linda will be up here afterwards. Come talk to them. But it is, it, it, the, the invitation to the light is open to you. Let's take a few moments in quiet. Jacob, would you come on up and maybe just play a little music so it's not super awkward? Um, and we're going to just take some time to privately confess our sins, evaluate where we're going to be um, uh, as far as taking the Lord's Supper, and then I'll join us back together with a prayer of blessing. So let's bow our heads and pray. Father in heaven, we honestly and fully confess our awfulness. We are sinners to the full degree. We have violated one law, we have violated them all. And so we stand as enemies in that state, but, but God, as it says in Ephesians, because of his love and because of his mercy, saved us by grace. Praise your name. And this morning we come and we eat a piece of bread and we drink a little cup of liquid and, and it seems at times as, as just regular, we do it each week, but each and every time it is significant. Why? Because by the power of the Spirit, Jesus Christ is present. He is here. He is near. He bolsters and nourishes and forgives and encourages us. And he reminds us with a great big hug, I love you. I love you anyway. And so this morning, anyone who comes forward this morning, I pray they come as a celebration, not of themselves or of work done in their own might, but of the love that Jesus Christ has for them and their unworthiness. And I pray that we celebrate that well in our hearts. We bless these elements to our bodies, our church body. I pray for unity. I pray for those children who received Bibles that they would be future husbands and wives and church leaders and business leaders and community leaders, moms and dads, whatever you have for them, but they would do so in the name and in the love and an understanding of the gospel in their lives. And I pray this morning that you would bring our adults to the same place. May we come and eat and be blessed by your work on our behalf. We pray all these things. In the name of Jesus, our friend and our Savior, who loved us so well, amen.